You're listening to Sibling Talk, commentary from a progressive point of view. Now here are your hosts, John Paulette and Mary Jo Tumer. Hello, I'm John Paulette. And I'm Mary Jo Tumer. You know, Mary, when our founding fathers, uh, the writers of the Constitution, sat down to try and determine what kind of government, you know, they were in this unique position of really just taking a piece of paper and saying, how should we govern? And the the overriding question for them was expressed, uh, shall we have a king? And that's the way most countries govern themselves. Shall we have a, a king? And they knew they didn't want a king, but what they weren't certain of was how do you run a country and not have a king? So there were really two answers uh, to that. Madison's answer was you put so many constraints on the chief executive that he will never be able to be a king. And we use the you know phrases like uh, checks and balances. We check him. You know he uh, he he might veto something, but uh, the Congress can override. Uh, the veto and try and keep everything in check. That's still with us. But the other approach to it, which I think really became the dominant approach, was caused by the history of our first couple of presidents. And that was, we will have virtuous people be the president. And of course, George Washington fit that exactly. Uh, after he served two terms, and remember, there was nothing in the Constitution that you could only serve two terms. That's added in the 1950s. He went back to uh, Mount Vernon. Uh, John Adams, not always well thought of as a president, but he deserves credit for losing to the opposition, Thomas Jefferson, and leaving, saying, that's okay, I'm going to turn, turn it all over. And so today we are faced with the problem that when we have a president who is not a virtuous person, then does the presidency work? And I guess the question I'd say to you is, do we have to get more Madison about this? Do we need to start rewriting laws in this country to put greater checks on the power of the executive? This is a great question that I never thought I'd ever be talking about in my lifetime. But it's interesting because my recollection, I think you're a better historian than I am, was that Madison was relying on the theory that um, people may want to do the good, a good thing, but they don't usually do the right thing. So right. you have to build, and whoever, which philosopher that was, Hobbes or whatever, that you have to build protection in the system against humans' worst instincts. That's um, why you have the three branches of governments and, like you say, the checks and balances. But the presidents, at least the modern presidents, I think maybe in the 1800s there was some hanky-panky, but... The presidents we've known really since Roosevelt, um, even Nixon understood that the system and preserving the system was more important than any one person. That's how we've seen the presidency. 
And so in a sense, it's Donald Trump is Madison's idea of what could happen. But we kind of lost the muscle to deal with that when you've had the kind of the the theory of the presidency that you've had, you know, good and honorable people who at least, even if they weren't good and honorable, they they were institutionalists and they believed in preserving the system writ large. So I think Trump has is a surprise to us, but maybe he shouldn't be. And he certainly would not be a surprise to Madison. I mean, let me ask you some specific questions about this. Should we, in whatever way it's going to be, I don't think it takes a constitutional convention, uh, but in some manner, should we change the president's power to pardon? Doesn't it appear that that is clearly, not just in Trump, frankly, Bill Clinton probably had some of it as well, but egregiously in Trump being misused and that it actually serves no good purpose at all. Sure. And I don't think we've seen the worst of it yet. It's one, I, I would guess, you know, of the books that will be written about Trump, one of the things he loved best was the pardon power because it made him, in his mind, seem king-like, right, of these plenary powers. The other uh, powers, in, in addition to that, that I think we could discuss and could be regulated by statute would be the powers of this kind of unitary president that Barr talks about, meaning that all the agencies, since they report to him, they are him, and he can't violate any policy within the executive branch because he is the executive branch. That's the way I understand this idea of the unitary president. And I think some of that can be regulated by Congress. The other um, things that Congress, I think, should do, and whether they will do or not, would have to do with the president having there being consequences for him failing to do what they have said and required him to do. In other words, if there's an immigration law and he refuses to enforce that regulate that immigration law, that's more than just a policy issue. And the final thing I would say is they could and should build some corruption protections into the um, management of the executive branch, because that's probably where Trump has been the worst. Well, he has. And uh, you bring up some really important points there. And one of them uh, does go back to Nixon. I mean, it goes back earlier. But Nixon, if you remember, articulated in the interviews with David Frost, if the president does it, it's not against the law. And that, I think, is almost the perfect expression of the unitary uh, unitary view. But that is, to go back to the writers of the Constitution, when they said, shall we have a king, that expression, if the president does it, if the king does it, it's not against the law, because the law is what the president says. It. Now, you know, I'm enough of a creature of the Vietnam War. I grew up during it. I was subject to the draft. All those kind of things went on that I just saw it so terribly eroded then, and that has gotten worse and worse. The president still has virtual unchecked ability to put this country at, at war. I don't think anybody believes that we will again have 
uh, December of 1941, where the president comes to the Congress and asks for a declaration of war. The ability to put young women and men in harm's way by only their decision and not the assent of the Congress. I understand the War Powers Act, but you know how, how little Congress wants to invoke that. That's kind of at the core of I can do anything. And I think that's dangerous to this country. So when you talk about that's a, a great point, John, because it the unitary president and a, a shirking of Congress's duties has acted to the benefit of all those individual Congress people, meaning they don't take responsibility for anything that happens. It puts so much pressure on the presidency that if the president is not someone who's, you know, saying, I don't want all that power, don't give me all that power, then the whole thing falls apart. And I don't think it's just the last four years that we've said that. I mean, we're both big Obama supporters, but he used the presidency himself to, one, uh, manage the press because he didn't have an open press shop and um, to do all kinds, sign all kinds of executive orders that allowed him to do what Congress wasn't going to let him do. And Congress just shirks its responsibility rather than come in and saying, this is legislative and we are going to act to make sure that the legislation works. They go, okay, take it to the courts. So you have the Article I branch politically pulling itself out, Article II absolutely owning everything like a king, and Article III being like, hey, wait, we don't want to be making all these decisions because we're not elected. So it's it, the system has broken down and the fixes to that system, um, I think, are a great conversation. What worries me is can we have that conversation in such a divided country? On the other hand, isn't this the perfect time to do it? Because each side, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, has an interest in managing the executive in such a way that the representative bodies really are making the laws and passing um, the policies that we can all agree on. Well, I, I think you're right there. And I, I want to put a little flesh on that. If Joe Biden were willing to take the leadership on presidential reform, so Democrats kind of go along with that. And if it was in the form of constitutional amendments, and the Senate, let's assume for a moment, stays in Republican hands. A majority of the state legislatures are in Republican hands. We might have this weird crevice in time where the Republicans say, yeah, we'll limit it because they're thinking only the next couple of years. Let's limit the power of Joe Biden. Uh, if you think I'm saying Republicans are incapable of thinking more than two years ahead, I am. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, to honestly, from the, from the Republican standpoint, they, it, it would seem to me they should think, you know, maybe we don't want another Donald Trump because a Republican who isn't acting like a Republican, but whom they all own fealty to, does not do what they want. It's not their policies. So you have these huge deficits run up under Trump. You have um, destroying of 
treaties and international relationships, all these anti-Republican things, destroying the immigration system. These are not Republican points of view. This is not how they see the universe. So maybe constraining the executive, whether it's Republican or Democrat, could help to meet their policy goals. The problem is, as individuals, they, and I'm not just talking about Republicans, I'm talking about all elected representatives in Congress, they have to act, they have to take positions, and they don't like doing that. No, no, not at all. And I mean, the one that sticks in their minds was they had to take a position and vote on funding and authorizing the war in Iraq in the early 2000s. And a whole lot of them, including Hillary Clinton, says, ooh, damn, I wish I'd never made that vote. Right. And it goes through one after another. You know, votes get distorted so so badly. I, I'm not going to speak in full support of Joe Biden or the uh, uh, you know Criminal Reform Act of the early 1990s. Uh, Bill Clinton was playing like he was a Republican, being all tough on crime. A lot of stuff was going in there. But that was also a very complicated bill that included protections for uh, women that were being abused and others. But when Joe Biden goes to run for president, that's the vote that gets thrown up in front of him over and over again. And so if you're a senator or a congressman who wants to keep your job, you feel like, man, don't make me vote on anything. Yes, don't make me vote on anything that... Um, moves this country forward at all because who knows what the political environment's going to be like two, four, or six years from now. I mean, even Hillary Clinton, you go back to the crime bill, I don't know if she ever used the term super predator. I, it was my understanding she didn't, but you know, she lost in large part the African American vote because of her vote on that bill. And it's easy to pull that bill and many bills on a context, including the Iraq war vote. I always thought that that was a little unfair of Obama because he was a nobody. You know, He was a state senator. Exactly. Yeah. He could take whatever position he wants. It's yeah. different when the rubber's hitting the road and you've got to do make a decision, a big decision. Well, I'm going to ask a big question that is our congressional system simply not working? Do we have to do something radical? Do we have to go to a parliamentary system? Do we have to put uh, term limits in? I mean, when we look at it today, we are incapable of passing a relief bill at a time that we're at the worst stage of the pandemic. Unemployment continues to go up. Businesses are going out of business. States are, are strangling. And we can't even pass a bill. Maybe this system just doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great discussion. So you you started by saying we don't need a constitutional Congress. And I'm thinking, I don't know about that. <laughs> maybe I, you know, the fear always, I think sometimes maybe we do. I think there are things about the Supreme Court uh, that need need work. I think there's things about our whole judicial system. We've talked about the presidency. We've talked about the Congress. My my fear is the ultra right have an ability to organize for those kind of events 
that we in the progressive wing never seem to have. And I could imagine a runaway convention. Ay, 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 ay. We need to talk about that again, John. How was that for a nice, happy note to end on? That's right. Here we start a new week with this stuff. (laughs) I'll talk to you later. Bye. Sibling Talk is a JMP production. Theme song by David Paulette.